Welcome to Why Should I Care, where I, Shashir Pandey, look to help young people find and follow their dreams while reminding older people that they used to dream too. In this episode, I speak with Mark Henshaw, a prominent figure in London, Ontario, who is driven by serving his community. My name is Mark Henshaw. I am currently a business development professional. I work as an entrepreneur and um, I, uh, my background actually is an is unexpected way to take me to where I am today. I have uh, three degrees. I have a Master of Arts in Education, where I focused on uh, looking at the issue of violence against women and engaging high school males with addressing the issue. I have a Bachelor of Education, where I specialize in working with kids from grades 4 to 10, and uh, my specializations are English and History. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my first degree, which I did in English and history degree. Mm-hmm. And I am, I've been in London ostensibly since I was one in 1989. So you can figure out my age from there. And uh, yeah, I've been, uh, London's been a big part of, of my life. And it's a big part of my, my, yeah, it's a big part of my life. It means a lot to me. So I'm really happy to be able to do business in the city that I care so much about. Yeah. There was a lot in there in your introduction in terms of where you're going, what you're doing. Um, You are a very busy man, and I'm very happy to have known you for the past, like, what, two months now? So a little bit of background. Mark and I, well, Mark used to work in the same building as I currently work in, uh, uh, the Tripsy building, but a different company. And so that's how we met. And because we're both relatively involved in uh, the the London community, Mark more so than myself, we happen to have quite a few mutual connections, which is always a good conversation starter. And uh, we we both seem to have the same mindset around career development, around supporting communities around helping other people. Shashir, the more you hang out with me, the, you said I'm more involved in the city, but the more you hang out with me, the more involved you are going to be in the city. That's just the way it goes. All my friends, um, you know, wh- whether they like it or not, the, I make them, I give them reasons to like London more. Well, yeah, I'm really glad. Yeah, because I, inter- <laughs> yeah, sorry, because um, uh, I, I am a big proponent of London. I've, I've grown up a and throughout my university and my career, um, people, friends in the GTA tend to tell me that London does not have a whole lot to do. And uh, being involved in the community has helped me realize how much of a untrue fact that is. As, as you know, facts can be untrue. Mm. Going forward, I, I actually want to dig a little bit into service as a service, which was the, the, the title for this podcast that you came up with. What does that actually mean to you? To get into service as a service, I'm going to go back in time. When I was a kid, um, I was a camper at the YMCA. And I, I, uh, there, weren't many, uh, there weren't many male models in my life that I looked up mm-hmm. to. You know, but as a camper, I met some really cool, interesting, fun, kind, respectful mm-hmm. people. Uh, and, and guys, uh, specifically males, were, were part of that. So when I had a good male counselor, it meant a lot to me. You know, I really looked up to them and, uh, you know, and I learned a lot from them. I was inspired yes. by them. And as I grew older, one of the first things I wanted to do for work was be a camp counselor. Mm-hmm. I, I received a good service in the sense that I got good camp counselors who were good mentors mm-hmm. in my life. And then I returned the favor by giving the service back. So the, the service that I give is really the work that mm-hmm. I give. It's kind of a, it's a bit of a play on words, obviously, but the basic idea is that the work is my service and in my value is my service. So the value I give is a service and the work I do is a service. To me, it's, it's just all service at the end of the day. Everything I do is service-based because when people inspire you and when you mm-hmm. give, it causes a ripple effect and it makes people want to be around you 
it makes people want to appreciate you because you're giving and they're appreciative of that. And then you never know. You never expect back. You should never expect returns. But over time, when you've planted so many seeds of good service for other people, it's really easy to talk business when it comes to business time because they know that you've already given mm-hmm. to them, whether it's through business as a service or, or whether it's through just being a good person. Yes. So it's really interesting to me that that sort of mindset, right? Like, because I, I sort of work in the same way and, and it's intriguing to me that the people that are best at this tend to be aware that the service they are providing will pay dividends in the future, but they don't do it for that reason. What drives me to give to people is not for the money. Yes, I need to eat. Yes, I need to have a roof over my head because the more I take care of myself, the more I take care of other Mm -hmm. people. What drives me up in the morning is not because I'm going to make more money to pay down my debt. What drives me up in the morning is that I get to give people something, give people a service that has value to them. And then I get value from it because it means something to them. It's a reciprocity. And I learned about reciprocity, actually, and in service a lot when I was at Western, at the University of Western Ontario, or known as Western University. Mm -hmm. Um, I did alternative spring break. Alternative spring break is something you could do during the February break to volunteer for a one-week period. I did it both locally in London, Ontario, at uh, the Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and I also did it internationally in Nicaragua. So in Nicaragua, I was teaching English to Nicaraguans, um, and I was a student leader that oversaw many students who were then teaching. So like, what, what I learned in those moments was that um, the importance to give um, it's in my DNA to I am because I can feel when people receive value and they have, are they're enabled because of that. Um, so not only have I experienced the benefits of service in my volunteer or I life, I've also experienced it as an educator. I, I am an educator. So when I mentor people, when I train them, there might be no money in that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I could make the argument, you know what? Five years down the road, the person's going to make some more money, then they're going to come up to me and give me leads for my business. Yeah, it's totally mm-hmm. possible. But like, you can't control no. that. It's not, there's no guarantees. I'm not telling people I'm going to help you because later you're going to help me. 100% no. It's a possibility and it's a likelihood because people appreciate what you do for them and they're going to remember you if and when things come up. But that's not why I do mm-hmm. it. Um, it's part of it. Like, I'm not going to lie. Of course, it's part of it. But, you know, there there is selfishness service. You know, I think that's nice. There is a part where I have to pay my bills. I have to eat. I want to have a good social life. I want to be healthy. And Mm -hmm. there is money associated with that. So there is something in it for me. But there's also something in it for the other person. So service is sustainable when it's reciprocal. And that's Mm -hmm. what I learned when I did alternative spring break at Western. That's what I learned when I was in education. Because... You know, ultimately, we need to work together and value each other in order to really go places and build our capacity as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly there. Um, and yeah, especially the the part about the long term thinking. Like, yes, to an extent, I am aware that when I help someone. And they are going to see the dividend, the the sort of returns of the help I've given them, not in a time scale of six months, but in a time scale of six years. Um, the likelihood of that person coming back and helping me is not necessarily the the highest uh, likelihood, right? But yeah. But sometimes it's just, okay, well, that feels good to help somebody that needs it. Yeah. And and that's that can be enough. And there's never, you just can't go wrong in doing good for people. Yeah. Um, and there's a saying, and I'm sure some of your listeners should share have heard the saying before. Mm-hmm. People don't remember what you do. They remember how you make them feel. 
And um, my relationships are built on trust, authenticity, integrity. Um, those are core values that I hold dear. And, and you know what? I'll, I'll give you an example because I think listeners need to hear that this happens every day. You, these are opportunities that we can take advantage of. Service is something you can take advantage of in everything you do. Okay. So uh, three years ago, uh, four, four years ago, I made a friend. We were both volunteering um, for a political campaign, and uh, we'd never met before, but we really got to know each other. And we were the two people on the, the volunteers on the team that dug our heart and soul, donated money, donated time, hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours to this campaign. <clears throat> and we, we became friends because I respected him because I saw that he was a giver. <laughs> he was someone who cared for somebody else, and he did it genuinely, and he did it wholeheartedly. <clears throat> And then time goes down the road and he comes up to me. He's like, Hey Mark, I'd like to develop my, you know, some more leads for my business. You know, you know, a lot of people, people like you, could you please help me out with that? And I said, sure. Mm -hmm. So I helped him out. And because of my help that I gave him, my service that I gave him, he literally got $20,000 worth of commission with the work that I did by connecting him to the right people. Okay. And and I, I didn't know that. In fact, I didn't know that until very recently. Mm -hmm. Very recently, we're having a meeting and I was saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm working for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, but I'm looking for money. I need to make money yep. because I want to work for myself, but I need clients. I need opportunities. I need closes. And then, and then he said, well, here's the thing. I never told you this, but, you know, X amount of years ago when I asked you to help me get clients, you helped me close $20,000 that I took home. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. And, and he said, you're good at leads generation because you build good relationships with people. They trust you. Mm -hmm. People trust me too, but I think you could work with me and I think you could make more leads, but you could, I could actually pay for this. So then he paid me base and he's going to give me commission and we're in business together. Nice. Like, that all rooted because we both showed up to volunteer for a political campaign, learned that we both value integrity, respect, and service. Mm -hmm. And then I gave him a service because he needed leads for free, no cost. And then later down the line, he's like, hey, Mark, I can see you have a need here. You need to make more money right now. You know, you got a debt to pay. I want to help you out. Why don't you work for me? And he was, he's not doing me a favor. Like, yep. he knows I'm a value. So... Yes we're able to help each other out and that's where the reciprocity comes in. So service when based on reciprocity is sustainable. If it's not reciprocal, it's not sustainable. Yeah. You can give and give and give and give, but if you keep giving and people just take, you're going to get exhausted and burnt out. I've been there before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, and all of that comes back down to how the two of you made each other feel, right? Like going back to what yeah. you were saying before. Absolutely. It's, it's like, that's something that really intrigues me. Both of us having been in the realm of marketing before. To, so my question there is, as a person, how do you seek to make people feel? I try to make people feel included. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the biggest problems we have in this world is that is, is when people feel that they're not a part of something. Mm -hmm. People feel isolated. People feel disconnected. People feel alone. Loneliness. Loneliness is my biggest fear. And I do everything I can to prevent that by building up positive relationships around me so people feel good, so people want to be around me, and then I want to be around them in return, and then we don't feel lonely. We don't feel disconnected. We feel the opposite. We, mm -hmm. feel, we feel that we, we love each other's presence, we want to learn from each other. We want to give to each other. We want to have each other's backs. Um, that's a community I want to grow up in, a community that's connected and a community that cares. And then people won't feel alone. Yes. So I actually want to tie that, tie that back like to the career development theme of, of the, the podcast. And I want, I want my, the people that are listening right now like it's really important that you think about this. It's it's not something that should just be like, well, you know, I'll I know it when I'll know it when I see it. 
I need you to think, how do I want people to feel when they interact with me? Marx was um, combating loneliness, right? So feeling, feeling welcome and included. And, and that's just one way to make someone feel that provides positive vibes and, and can build relationships that, that provide value to both parties. Right. So maybe a different way to make somebody feel is if you're more on the stern side, maybe you you think that you want people to feel that you're a straight arrow and you'll tell them the truth no matter what. And that's a different way of providing value. That's a different way of of making people feel that's still positive and still creates that feedback loop of reciprocity. Definitely. Definitely. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, he's a, he's a sales shark, as I like to call him. He's what you call a challenger in the sales world, someone who will be a straight shooter and, and not be afraid to push the situation. And we work well together as a team because that's not my style. I don't challenge. I don't push. I'm not the bulldog. He's the bulldog. But he's not a mean guy. Yep. You know, he's not a rude guy, but he just yep. pushes. It's what he does. Like, for example, you know, you could ask a prospect, okay, so I've shown you my value. Uh, this is what your needs are. And there seems to be a product market fit. And then if the prospect starts to back off and say, I don't know, this isn't going to work. Then you ask the person, well, what are you going to lose if you don't buy my services? Mm-hmm. A blunt question that really, you know, cuts to the dollars and cents. Um, you know, like people, like you said, Shashir, so when people are straight shooters, they can kind of disrupt the thinking in a way that can help people think outside the box and think critically. Um, and that's a value. That's absolutely yes. a value. And that's a service you can provide. And it's, and it's a different, very different thing, right? Like, because for you, that's providing that welcoming feeling. That's a different kind of value than I feel like. I got pushed a peg higher than where I was the previous before, right? That's a completely different feeling, but they're equally valuable. Mm-hmm. Clearly you and whomever this uh, person was probably made a, a, a really good team because the clients would feel both welcome and feel a level of progress, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I don't know. Like, did I get you wrong? Did you work together with this person? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, I work actually in discussions right now. Um, I, I have worked with him. Yeah, we, we did a volunteer project together. Uh, it's actually called the Revenue Drivers. And mm-hmm. uh, Re- Revenue Drivers is an association of volunteers who want mm-hmm. to connect the sales, uh, the sales community in the Kitchener-Waterloo region. And mm-hmm. uh, we give our time to put together talks, do product management, um, strategic events that help people build their uh, sales, uh, sales skill set and, uh, and their repertoire and their language so they can advance their careers. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's how I worked with him. And I've been, I'm, I'm now doing partnership with, in business with him, but uh, that's how we started. And, again, that's another example this year. We started off as volunteers. Yep. And I showed him my value that I was reliable. Yes. Uh, you, you could depend on me. I'd get work done. And then of that group, we decided, hey, like, let's continue doing this, except let's actually do it for real, for money. Have you ever, like, started working with someone without having volunteered with them before? That's a good question. Um, well, obviously, uh, when I got thrown into a company, like when I started working for MLD Solutions, um, <clears throat> I didn't volunteer for most people I worked with. Mm-hmm. However, let's think about this for a moment. Yeah. No, the reason why I built a relationship with Mona Lamb Deslip was because um, her son was actually a friend of mine. And mm-hmm. uh, we were hanging out at a community, uh, community barbecue. And, but again, a community barbecue. And she was just watching me talk with Nathan, her son, and my friends. And through that, she was like, wow, I want to hire this guy. That's an example where a kind of community, um, it wasn't volunteering, but it was a community event that brought us together. And that's why she hired me. And that's why I did business for her for a year and a half. Yeah. 
And going back to the the same previous uh, chat we were having earlier, where did why did she hire you purely on the feeling that she made you made her feel when you were speaking with her son? Yeah, yeah. No, she told me that after I was hired down the road. She didn't tell me that when when I was being interviewed. She just said, you know what? She just said her instinct was, I want to hire you because I I think you would be great in business. And <laughs> why? Because I treat people with respect. You know, trust is paramount to me. Transparency is paramount to me. Um, I have fun. I'm a a huge punster. I love my puns. I could have half an hour conversations about puns. And uh, they're corny. They're dad jokes. But people love them. I am who I am. And and I'm not afraid to be that way. And I'm very privileged to feel that I have that self-confidence to be who I am. It's taken me many years to get to where I am in that regard. But yeah, I made her feel like she could trust me. I made her feel like I would be a giver. I made her feel that I was a good listener. You know, I made her feel many things. And that's the kind of stuff you want to give when you're giving service to people. You want them to feel these values in your work. So then they associate, volunteer or not, they associate you with these values and then, yeah, I mean, if, you, if they want to hire you uh, and pay you money for services, they know you have integrity. They know you have these values. So, you know, you can't teach values. You can't teach character. And I, yeah. you know, I've heard this time and time again. You know, you can't teach work ethic. You can teach technical th- skills, but you can't teach that other stuff. So if you see that in somebody, capture it. See if you can work yeah. with that person. Even if, or maybe just see if you can be friends with that person. And see how yeah. you can kind of leverage each other in, in, in a social way, even. You know? Yeah. I, I tend to surround myself with people like that, not from the perspective of, hey, I might hire this person someday, or I want to associate myself mm-hmm. with them professionally, but just from the perspective of they're in a position where I see the work ethic, I see the, the, the sort of groundwork that's necessary and they haven't got there yet. And I just love watching that process, right? Just yep. I just love seeing somebody come from like the bottom of the totem pole of some company to uh, rising up to whatever they become as a result of the the same personality characteristics that I saw in them. There's a bit of an ego thing into that because it's it's like, hey, I saw that coming type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I love making that prediction. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and when you're talking about career development, you know, we always ask ourselves, like, you know, let's say, let's say your associate kind of got a promotion. And then we ask ourselves, why did they get that promotion? You know, what, what is it about them that made them stand apart? You know, I, uh, maybe, maybe if it was in sales, you know, they closed good sales. Usually sales is pretty black and white. You know, um, but then you, but then you have to ask why, why did they close so many sales? Um, and this kind of bleeds into the, before I get into this next part, it kind of bleeds into Malcolm Gladwell's book outliers. And I mean, spoiler alert, if I may, can, 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 can I do this? Yes, okay. you can. Spoiler alert for Malcolm Gladwell's book, the outliers outliers are not outliers. That's the irony of the book. Outliers are people who are given circumstances and there is a soil in which they make decisions, which is shaped through the soil and that, that they're in and influence their direction. And then they end up going into a place that seems like it's outstanding. But if you reverse engineer where they got to from where they were before, you'll see that there were many circumstances that were extremely unique and somewhat pivotal to get them to where they were. It's not luck. And sometimes it's not just hard work. When it comes to the guy who gets the promotion, really think about why they got the promotion. Think about their character. Think about their, their skills. Think about, you know, how, yes, how many sales are they closing? But don't just stop at the what. The what is the, the number of sales that they've closed. You have to do a qualitative analysis, and I'm getting into research speak. You have to do a qualitative analysis of how they got there, you know, because the qualitative gives you the why, the quantitative gives you the what. 
The what doesn't explain, it just gives you a point. That's it. It's a data point. So if they raised $100,000 in venture capital, why did they do that? Like, how did they do that? How, yeah. like, how do they treat people? What, what science of sales do they have? Um, what were their presentation skills like? You know, how, how do they interact with people? Do they listen? Do they pause yeah. when they speak? Do they give people a moment to process? Mm-hmm. How do they make people feel? You know, like, yeah, like it's, it's outliers are not outliers. You have to really dig deep and think and reflect on why people succeed. And when you do that, you will find that they had a struggle to get there and they had some luck, I'm sure, um, you know, some more than others. I mean, I'll give you an example. Bill Gates. So this is quoting outliers. Bill Gates uh, is one of the most well-known and richest men in the world for the computer science world who started Windows. Okay. Yes. So Bill Gates actually had an opportunity when he was in university when the world didn't have this opportunity. That opportunity was that he had access to a computer, which was extremely rare for anyone at the time to have access to a computer. He had access to a computer and him and his, him and his classmates could do like an hour at a time. But then one time, one of the students found a hole in the system where they figured out how they could get unlimited time on these computers. So they spent hours upon hours programming after programming after programming when the rest of the world hadn't even seen a computer before. Yep. So that's an example of kind of where he had a luck situation capitalizing it with his work ethic and his passion, which then turned into what he is today. Now, obviously, there's more that came before he got to that point. It's not that simple. But Malcolm Gladwell's point still stands that if he didn't have that chance of an experience, he would not be the person he was today. And Bill Gates has admitted that. Why does that connect to service? I spent my life volunteering for political Mm -hmm. campaigns, not-for-profits, charities i've done my own charity uh fundraisers um and i've done it mostly in one domain that's the city of london so now when i'm working in business i i in spite of the fact that i'm making money i still say that my service is a service you know because (laughs) what i give you is my values what i give you is my integrity i give you my trust i give you my 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 work ethic i give you my ability to learn and i give that yeah. I give that to people. And yes, I get paid. But when I walk away from that business deal, we've built a friendship. We've built a relationship that will last because of the way I treated them. And again, that's where, that's where I say I'm not in business. I'm in service. And the service I give is service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually going back to what you were talking about with the outliers and, and that story with Bill Gates. Um, this is something that I spoke about. I, I haven't read the book Outliers, but uh, something that I spoke about quite extensively in the last episode that I did, which was a solo episode, was this concept of right place, right time. And you can influence the place, but you can't influence the time. So what I mean by that is it is your responsibility to put yourself in a position where the types of opportunities you are looking for are available and then you just wait. Okay. And you keep providing value, right? In that space. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I will say that like that episode was a particularly difficult listen because I talk about some topics that are, I guess other people haven't really talked about yet. So my, my goal with that episode was to help people understand that, yes, there is an element of luck. That being said, you can always influence the probability by taking the actions that are necessary. For example, yep. I, I gave the example that if you're in, if you are interested in a career in the tech sphere and you are spending all of your time at home playing video games, I don't know how that's going to transfer into finding a career in the tech sphere. 
I think it's more important to go and like actually put yourself out into the tech community, as you say, and provide value and not necessarily from the perspective of, oh, I'm going to go and do this and it's going to get me a job in, te- in the tech world, but more from the perspective of this is in the tech world. It's fun because that's what I want to do. The people here, I like them because they're my type, my type of people. And I want to provide good to the world in this space because this is what I want for my own life. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's something you said there that struck me. It was about kind of like luck. And <laughs> there I've learned a little bit about luck. And some people say uh, people who have good luck, you know, they, they work really hard. And then when those opportunities arise, they capitalize on them. And because they've already had the momentum, they're able to capitalize in the luck situation. They weren't sitting down playing video games. They were actually preparing. So luck comes to people who prepare, you know, is kind of the saying. But to the point of luck, um, there's also knowledge that can help you with luck. It can help increase your luck. For example, uh, I used to work at Typhoon. I was a, a, a server at Typhoon because, you know, being having such my student debt, it doesn't, one job just isn't enough when you want to pay down faster. So I was working at Typhoon and because um, and I also have a background in communications and marketing, I had this idea, you know, I was talking with somebody, uh, I, was a, I was a client, or sorry, I was a guest, and we we're chatting and then they're like, oh, well, what kind of spice levels do you have? I said, well, we got, you know, we have medium, we have hot, we have suicide. And then it mm-hmm. struck me. It just struck me. And I was like, well, suicide? Why, why would I use that word? Why is suicide associated with a good experience with food? Like, I mean, it's, it's trivialized, I understand. But that's also part of the problem. Why is it being trivialized? So anyway, that's my social justice self talking. And, and I was like, you know, I thought about it. And then I talked to my, the owner about it. And I was like, hey, like, what if we change the menu to say something else? So we, we came upon the idea of Thai hot rather than suicide. So mm-hmm. hot than Thai hot. And we took it off the menu. We changed it. And then I said to the owner, I was like, you know what? It's actually, and this is the crazy thing. Suicide Awareness Week was coming up. And mm-hmm. I said, Suicide Awareness Week is coming up. This is where my knowledge came in. Mm-hmm. I had knowledge of the social justice sector. I had knowledge about mental health stigma because I went to school for it and I volunteered and I did a lot of things around these areas. I had knowledge that the CBC in London would probably like to hear a story that a restaurant changes their menu from suicide to tie hot because we're trying to break a stigma and we're trying to get people to talk about not trivializing the word suicide. Mm. I then made a press release, sent it out around suicide awareness week. And not only did CBC pick it up now, Huffington post picked it up and he had a phone interview for some national radio source. Nice. So you could say that was a very lucky situation. The luck was the fact that it happened to be suicide awareness week, but I had the knowledge that it was Suicide Awareness Week because I was going to suicide awareness events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where knowledge and preparation can increase your luck because then you can read the situation and see why would this, and because the press always asks, why now? Why would we write your story now? Well, it's Suicide Awareness Week. And then it's like, good point. You know, yeah. so you can not create luck. You can't create luck, but you can create the conditions in which you can increase your luck through preparation and knowledge. And, uh, and I just want to touch on that. You know, I know it's a bit of a tangent to service, but then again, like I said to you, I knew about suicide stigma because of the volunteering I did because of the schooling I did. And I knew about suicide awareness week because I, I went to a suicide awareness event and I was volunteering with some friends in there. So, I mean, again, like service was tied into this as well. Uh, getting engaged in the community. Know what's going on. What is the heartbeat of the community? What do they care about? And, and I knew that the community cared about suicide awareness, you know, especially at the time of Suicide Awareness Week. So, like, again, preparation and knowledge fostered an opportunity for me to get better luck. Because you can never guarantee your story is going to get blasted across Canada. But it did. And it was one of the biggest stories in the last few few months before that on CBC London. Yeah. And I would even argue like 
I would take it a little bit further than that. So to me, you were in that position and if had you not known about Suicide Awareness Week, the opportunity would not have changed. The opportunity that came into your sort of vicinity was the same. You just would not have been able to capitalize on it. Yeah, because, you know, and we, we, got, we got trolls and critics saying, oh, you guys are just changing the name for PR purposes. You guys are sick. You're using uh, suicide just to make more money. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure we didn't make more money off of that press release. We didn't have a spike in guests. But what we did have a spike in was guests who cared about the fact that we decided to take a stand against mental health stigma. And Mm -hmm. rich conversations would emerge with our guests. And the owner got so excited about it because he's like, this is something that, you know, we're not just a restaurant. We're a community hub. People come to us not just to eat, but to get an experience. And if they see our values, you know, and because, and, like, really, changing the menu was a cost for him. That was a service he gave because he felt that the value was that we needed to break the stigma of suicide. Not that it's going to do that, but it's just a little thing, right? And that's where he served his community above and beyond our return on investment because he felt it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And in turn, his customers felt a certain way about his business, right? Yes. And I would say that our client base increased. And and sometimes it's not necessarily about a a dollar value, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just about make how you make people feel. And yeah. will that, will that pay, pay a dividend in, in the future? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So it's, I think that, you know, and we, we, we hear from politicians sometime and I hope people don't zone out the kind of core values point, but I think that's what this all boils down to. Service is a way that you express your core values to people. And when people are drawn to those core values, they're going to want to work with you. They're going to want you to work for them. They're going to want you to serve them. They're going to want to volunteer with you. Um, you see it with politicians. I mean, like right now in the mayoral race, you have Ed Holder. Uh, you have Paul Pilato, Tanya Park, and Paul Chang. And all of them have different experiences with community service to different degrees. And I, you know, I am not endorsing a candidate right now. But I'm telling you that Paul, uh, sorry, um, Ed Holder is known for his service in the community, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, as soon as he came out of the gates, I think there was a lot of people, you know, you know, they they were intimidated by that move, you know, because he is somebody who has given a lot to the London community. He's been on boards, uh, you know, volunteering his time for strategic advice. And um, he's done a lot. And, you know, Tanner Park has done a lot for the community too. And that's a big reason why she gets a lot of support um, you know, from a lot of grassroots organizations in the city. And uh, Mohammed Salih, he's a city councilor. He's not running again, as far as I know, but he's, uh, he literally donated, instead of having a wedding party, he literally mm-hmm. donated his money to a charity back home, um, I believe it was. Don't quote me on it. You, you can look it up, but Mohammed Salih. But he donated like thousands of dollars. Um, to a charity rather than having a wedding party. Yeah. You know, like these are people who are in our community, the Tanya mm-hmm. Parks, the Mosley, the Ed Holders, you know, I could, I could go on the Michelle Baldwin's the, you know, and, but then you have business leaders, you know, like you have the Stephanie Sicarelli's and voices, you know, you have the race roster team. I love the race roster team. Oh my God. They're amazing people. Brandon land, you know, he's given so much time to coaching like the value and the service he's given people is unreal. He's one of the founders of race roster, which is one of the fastest 50 growing companies in Canada right now, according to Deloitte. Um, Like it's not a secret guys. Like I'm not the only person doing this stuff. Think of, think of Bill Gates today. You know, he arguably has some of the best charitable, you know, interventions for healthcare in African countries, you know, Um, Warren Buffett, also a philanthropist. Um, mm-hmm. the Ivies, the Siskins, these are all people from London. At the end of the day, that's, that's all that it boils down to, because what are, what are you going to do with money? Are you going to eat it? Like, 
Yeah. It's, yeah. Not a whole lot matters after you die. No. Other than, other than what the, how you made people feel and, and the impact you made on your community. Yeah. And you know, uh, um, the guy who talked about that, uh, to your point was Steve Jobs in his book. Did you read that book? His, his uh, autobiography? I have not yet. I haven't either. It's on the list. <laughs> but the one thing he says in his book is that, you know, when, when he was at his last days, knowing that he was going to die of cancer, um, he said he did everything he did so that he could be surrounded by people who love him and care for him. Because at the end of the day, it's the people who love and care for you that matter the most when you're dying, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the wealthiest, most successful people in the world. Um, and I mean, even look, look at Sheryl Sandberg, uh, you know, look at, look at her book, lean in, which encourages women to push boundaries, you know, um, strategically push boundaries. So then they can advance their careers. She's giving people advice that they can pick up in a book that she's used in her own life. And, and that's the other thing, you know, like the whole self-help books, that's another service. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting paid for it. But if you read self-help books, you can learn a lot of wisdom. Yeah, people. I feel I feel like people underestimate the the level of effort required because when it comes to a self help help book, somebody might be able to crank out a book within like six months to a year, but in order to have a valid opinion on the things that you're talking about, you need to ha- go through a lifetime of experiences related to that topic whatever money people get back from that from selling that book it's it's comparable to the to the level of effort that they put forward in servicing their communities as as they went along i think so oh i think so and if you talk to anyone who reads a lot of self-help books coaching leadership like my late friend nathan deslip um he was huge on self-help books and coaching and leadership and and anyone who knew him knew that was him he was a leader he was a coach he was a friend um and uh you know the the smartest people i know are the best listeners are the best learners are empathetic and can truly give wholeheartedly they can truly give you know um in a genuine and authentic way you know, you're surrounding yourself with wisdom, right? And, um, and you know what? If you're the smartest person in the room, get out of the room. Or yeah. if you're the smartest person in the room, read a book about a smarter person. And if you're the smartest person in the room, give as much as you can to the, people, the other people in the room. Build the people up around you. Absolutely. Build that capacity. Leverage your resources because you may be a good talker, but then they may be a good listener. You may be a good leader, but then they may be a good, they may be a good follower. Um, they may, you, you may be good at quantitative, so they may be a good at qualitative. You know, in my company that I worked for, not my company, but MLD Solutions that I used to work for, I liaised between programmers and clients. Extremely technical people that never wanted to talk to humans, to people who wanted a service from the technical people. Yeah. And my service was in liaising between those two groups and using my communication skills to get people what they need. Because what I've learned is I, I used to have this idea, this self-righteous, you know, idea that, oh, you can only do good if you're in charity. You can only do good if you're a non-for-profit. You can only do good if you're, you know, like you can, only, you can only be a good teacher if you work for the public sphere. The private sphere is dirty. You know, I've been in the private sphere for over two years now and I work for myself now. And I know that's not true because if you, you know, Shashir, you are, you know, you, you, uh, you do talks, you do keynotes, you do podcasts, like Mm -hmm. what you're doing is giving young professionals value in career development that you're not, you know, you're not charging this, you know, all, all the emails you send out. Like, yeah, for sure. You're building your brand. You're getting your name out there. But you're giving people value, and that's a service, you know. Mm-hmm. And and um, and it's admirable, you know. I'm going to toot your horn for a moment here. It's admirable. <laughs> Thanks, um, man. <laughs> yeah, but but you're not saying like, dude, you're an electrical engineer. 
You're an electrical engineer who's decided, I want to be a better communicator. I, I like marketing. Marketing is exciting. I want to be an entrepreneur as well as work for a business. I, I love business. I want to learn from this. But you give. You give everyone access to your podcasts, to your emails, no cost, you know. And of the hundreds of people you touch through these podcasts and through these emails and everything else you do and these keynotes, you know, like, like you're probably putting in way more hours than the actual money. Like you're not like, like again, what money? <laughs> exactly, exactly. What money? What money? That service. Yeah. That um, speaks to your value yeah. as a person. And I'll, I'll be honest, like there's a bit of uh, a selfish reason for it as well, because I also get to speak with people like yourself and, and the other folks that have been on my podcasts. And it's amazing the things that you learn from people when you put them in a setting where they are expected to teach. Yeah. And that's really a core tenant of, of, of what I'm doing. I get as much from this as I give. It's, um, and that's why it's sustainable. Exactly. Going back to what you said, service as a service has to be reciprocal. Is there anything you want to leave my audience with as a last point? Yeah. I'm going to say in order to apply service as a service, as a model in your life, I'm going to say, uh, you know, it's going to be above and beyond your job. You know, like, I mean, yeah, you got your job is going to make you the money or maybe you're a student. Maybe mm -hmm. you're, you're a single mother. Maybe you're, uh, you know, an entrepreneur. Um, you're going to have your bread and butter. You're going to have these things you're going to focus on. Sometimes you have to step outside of that box to, to do the service that you feel fulfilling. Like maybe you're interested in rookie league, baseball, and coaching kids who are, who are, you know, are, are of lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Maybe you want to mentor people in the business community. Like a lot of the time you got to step outside your comfort zone. You got to step outside your regular hours to, to give this kind of service. You can do it within sometimes, but you know what? Follow, follow your heart, follow your gut. What is it that you really care about? And then find an organization or make an organization or just do it yourself. Don't even make a damn organization. Like find a way that you can give value through your passion. And when you actually do that, you will gain so much self-confidence. You will gain so much like connectedness with the community. You're going to feel so good about yourself and you're going to be giving at the same time. So like that's kind of how I would leave it. Follow your passion to give your service and if it can be in your job, then bonus. But if it's not in your job and you're looking for it elsewhere, then do the side hustle. Mm -hmm. vo volunteer tutor for kids who, who need that positive mentorship in their life. There are, there's a Limberloss community, the Southdale Chaplaincy community. There's government housing across the city that could use good, positive mentors in these kids' lives. Find your passion and get out there because people are screaming for, for good service and and you can give it and you can feel fulfilled and you can feel elevated as a person, but you can give and they can receive that. You know, it's a, it's a reciprocity, right? So just get out there and do it. Look at, look at the non-for-profit list with pillar nonprofit. Look at the LEDC, look at the business that exists in the community. Like these lists are out there. It's accessible. It's not, it's not esoteric. It's on the clouds. It's out there. It's right in front of your face, your church community, your, your political associations, it's out there. Get out there and just give your service, fueled by your passion, and it will, it will change your life for the better. Mm -hmm. And I, want, I, I really want my audience to understand that all of this advice that you are giving, you really, really live it. Because in the two months that I've known you, like, I think I've got like four new podcast guests. I've like been connected to things that I had never thought I would be connected to in the past. In the past, I've uh, met incredible people, tried incredible new things, um, had some some of your cooking, which was amazing as well. And, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just I 
I genuinely believe that when when you give things, you're not giving from a sense of expectation. And I, I really appreciate that. And I'm I'm gonna be full disclosure with you right now, Shashir. This is the TSN turning point of the podcast. You literally brought tears to my eyes when you said that. Because as I'm sitting down at my apartment talking to you, I'm looking at a globe, uh, a map of, uh, of, the, of the world, and I have two pinpoints on it, one in China and one in London, because mm-hmm. those are the places. I'm going to be in China, as you know, for the next two to five years working. Um, yes. And when I hear my friends tell me that, you know, they, they tell me that they've gained so much from our interactions, that's who I am. That's what I do. That's what I stand for. And it brought tear to, tears to my eyes because it's going to be hard leaving this community. It's going to be hard knowing that I'm going to have to start this over again, which, you know what, I'll start it over again. I'll do it in China. And I've, I've already done it to an extent. But it just it makes me feel so good knowing that you've gained so much value from who I am. Um, and I really appreciate that. So thank you for sharing. And yeah, tears, tears have very closely come out of my eyes. So I mean... Like I said, TSN turning point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I must say the the people that you are going to help in in China are are very lucky, and uh, I'm I'm glad you got a chance to come on the podcast. Just as a a little final thing, if you want to leave any means to contact you, maybe social media, maybe email, um, that my my audience can reach out to you and let you know how they feel about uh, what you said and also um, maybe just connect with you. So first things first, uh, Facebook is the most personable um, social platform that I use. Uh, I only add people who I know or I have a connection with. If I don't have a connection with, I'm not going to add you. Um, that's just the way I am. Uh, <laughs> but my, my name on Facebook is Mark Henshaw, M-A-R-K. And last name is Henshaw, H-E-N-H-E-November-S-H-A-W. So that's my Facebook name. My Twitter name is actually Mark Henshaw, just all one word, at Mark Henshaw. And my Instagram account is Mark, is M, as in Mark, M, Henshaw, 06. So those are ways you can get in touch with me. I'm very accessible and very responsive. I will be leaving in China in less than a month. So uh, um, I, am, I am closing coffee dates with people. By the time you guys get this uh, recording, um, I might be already on my way to China. Who knows? But feel free to reach out to me. I will have VPN, so I will be able to use Facebook in China. So I will not fall off the map. Um, and then, mm-hmm. of course, lastly, my email is mark.henshaw06 at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, uh, Mark. And uh, it's been a pleasure spending time with you over the course of the past couple of months. And uh, you will be sorely ma- missed when you uh, head off to China. And uh, I do know that uh, you are not the type of person who will forget the connections you've made in London. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll hear from you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for hosting me. I, I'm very, very much a privilege to be on your podcast this year. So. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Why Should I Care? You can find us on Instagram at Building Intrigue, Facebook, facebook.com slash Building Intrigue, or you can email me directly at shashir at buildingintrigue.com.